0: well 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 you are listening to the inspired minds podcast my name is jeff watson i am indeed your gracious and your grateful host i can do that in my sleep now i don't have to think about that one it just rolls right off the tongue i've done uh i think maybe about 53 episodes so far currently on the uh on the old artist roster there on the on the uh, podcast got about 20 more that we still have to put up it's a thing but I am elated to be doing these things. Um, I am going to be. Uh, I'm going to. I'm going to give myself a little shout out. How about that? Hooray for me! I am two months away from graduating with my master's in psychology, ladies and gentlemen. Look at that! I am extremely proud of myself. It's been, it's been quite the, uh, quite the experience. I have learned so much um, about various disorders and how to uh, hold space and just all those things that you. You hear about, and now I get to see them up close and work with them. Because in addition to going to school, part of schooling is that I am a therapist in training, which meant means that I've had about 300 hours uh, so far of individual and couples con, uh, contact, and it's amazing. I have finally found what I am supposed to do, and <laughs> I've been trying to crawl out of an eight-year hole of trauma, and it's been really difficult. So I am so elated that I've been able to find my North Star and do what I truly love, which is this therapy stuff. Um, and it's just a miracle that I'm actually even uh, talking on this uh, over-expensive microphone. So hooray for me. And with that in mind now, um, I would like to introduce the next guest, Alicia Dennis, she's an editorial director over at A Little Thing Called People Magazine. By the way, second Editorial director that I've met, interviewed rather, from People Magazine, Jeremy Hellinger. I should get like a free, I should get free copies of People for Life. I'm giving them way too much publicity here. For free? Come on! Oh, well. Regardless, we had a wonderful conversation about pop culture, a lot of pop culture stuff, of course. But she's also, her specialty is true crimes. We got a lot into that world. We discussed uh, the the twin icons uh, of Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys uh, for a young child like myself to try and solve crime at like the age of ten, and we discussed that. We discussed a wonderful uh, Joan Didion, how incredible <laughs> she. The, the writing was spectacular. Went and do this band called Spoon because my interviews tend to go, you know, all over the place. Band called Spoon from the mid mid two thousands, I guess, and they were from Austin, and they were fantastic. Apropos of nothing. But finally the real meat of the subject uh the conversation was we did this she wrote this fantastic thing called a first grader at 70 and it was a it was a nonfiction a piece that she had written about this gentleman who was 70 years old and he was illiterate and he wanted to learn how to read so he went to a school and <laughs> actually joined a first grade class and they all learned how to read together and what she had written has now become a Part of a larger curriculum specifically relating to uh helping kids become literate and just adults becoming literate as well, so it was a fantastic fantastic time and uh as usual, I truly hope that you enjoyed this as much as I did making it uh I really did, and my goodness we got to uh got to talk a lot about a lot of fun stuff and i got to i think i even i think it may even like gave her a therapy insight or something for free. I need to start charging for these podcasts. I keep doing this. They're like, oh, that's a really good insight. Wait, I, I need money for this. <laughs> oh, well. At any rate, have a wonderful day, night, 4 a.m., wherever you are. Take care of yourselves. Bye. Well, welcome once again, Dazzled wrong to the Inspired Minds podcast audience. Uh, please say hello to the lovely and talented Alicia Dennis. Alicia Dennis. Please say hello to the Dazzled Throng.
1: Hello, Dazzled Throng. Well done. That's the first time I've ever said hello, Dazzled Throng in my life. There's a and lot I've been first. around a little bit.
0: A lot of first come <laughs> on the show, trust me. <laughs> I
1: don't even
0: know what that means. Um, so, thank you for doing this. The, uh, the very first thing I like to do is kind of kick this off. It's a philosophical question, so it may be a little early. Uh, for you certainly for me cuz i'm on the west coast regardless wow when you were young what was the first thing that you can remember that inspired you when you were a kid was it a song was it a book was it a
1: movie go oh boy well you know i was um i was a horse kid i was in love with horses i just that they were my thing and so i had a lot of those little briar I think it's the name of it briar little miniature uh horse figures that I would collect and read all about you know when I when I was able to read then I guess read all about the different kinds of horses that I had and clopping them around and and pretending and making up all these things and I got one of these horses it was um Misty of Chincoteague Island, and it was connected to a book that was written by Marguerite Henry about these wild ponies um, that really exist on, you know, this island. This it's it was just it, it was mind blowing to me that off the Virginia coast there was this real wild. Pony's place, and so I started reading everything I could. Then Misty, of course, had a foal named Stormy, and I had to collect Stormy too and, and read all about that. And that was just sort of my gateway into reading, reading, reading. Nancy Drew came next. Uh, Nancy Drew was a big deal for me. Um, you know, I, I, I really wanted to meet. Who I thought was writing the Nancy Drew books, Carolyn Keene, turns out, you know, I was brokenhearted to find out this was a pseudonym for a whole bunch of other people um, that were writing the books. But I, I think I was just one of those kids that just read, 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 read.
0: Right. And so the following, well, is here's the follow-up question, like any journalist would ask: Where did that? How did that get you to where you are now? <laughs>
1: Well, I think um, there's a combination of things there. Uh, There's a lot that you learn from reading, and there's a lot of questions that come to mind the more you know. Yeah, right? The more you know, the more you want to know. Right. So that's really connected to to journalism so much. And then, of course, one of the things that I do um, in my job is work a lot in the crime space. And so... I was thinking about this it's funny that that Nancy Drew would be such an influence yeah, right. on me this crime solving heroine um but I I think that I think that that really did kind of guide um guide me in all the different careers that I've had in my life they all have a lot to do with finding out as much as you can about a particular subject.
0: Right. And it's that Nancy Drew. I love that Nancy Drew concept. That it really did kind of bring you to the true crime world.
1: It's funny. She was the first. She was the first true crime genre um, out there. You know her and the Hardy Boys, and I think Trixie Belden, yeah, too. Maybe solve some stuff. I'm trying to remember. Um, but but yeah, it's um, it's it's really exciting to be a journalist because you have this wonderful opportunity. To ask all the questions that um, otherwise nobody would be allowed to, right? There's no question that should really be off the table, and so that that makes things pretty interesting most of the time.
0: Why do you th- think journalists have the uh, right? Maybe is the word, or perhaps the purview of being able to ask those different questions than other people would be? Is just because of the setting?
1: I think that I think it's the setting. I mean. Also, anybody can ask anything they want to, right? There's no really rule against that. It's just being given the access to some of those rooms, um, being given the access to some of those people. It's um, it's a responsibility. I know that might sound a little bit no. corny, but it it is. Yeah. You know, it's a responsibility because I think that, um, and we've seen definitely this journalism has changed and that we don't have as many newspapers as we used to have. We yeah. don't have, you know, I remember back when you'd have two giant newspapers in a big city and they were competing against one another to try to break news. Okay. And I think that as the public, we knew way more and we were safer and better informed when that was the case, when, when we did have people out there trying to find out what was really going on for us.
0: Correct. And, you know, the funny, I was just, I was having this exact conversation uh, on another show recently with the guy who's a senior editor of the Washington post. And he Mm -hmm. really great conversation about that exact concept about how, you know, back in quote unquote, the day, which is now I'm I'm actually old enough now to say that, which is terrifying. Um, (laughs) I I don't like this. (laughs) This aging shit sucks, but regardless, (laughs) you had three channels, right? There was a national voice and, Right, he, he had a great point. You know, it was that 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 splintering of the national voice is kind of democracy in action. That's great; everyone gets a voice, but you lose that national conversation. You lose that that water cooler moment, you know. And
1: exactly, well, people are now too uh, getting their facts or their news curated for them, mm-hmm. and because of what's happening with you know the internet and and being able to. Facebook and all these places that um, whatever you're reading about, then all of a sudden gets fed to you Mm -hmm. that it's very difficult to have a conversation with someone and say, what you're reading isn't true (laughs) and here's what is. And for you to be able to convince someone of what is real. And that, that used to not be the case. Just like what you were saying that used to be that there was a belief in in journalists and a belief in journalism, uh, and you know the, we could all get together and agree we might not agree about what was true, we might not agree about why it was true or how it happened or whatever, but we could agree about what was really going on. And and, and it's scary to me that that's um, that's not the case the way that it used to be. <laughs> that's an understatement. You know,
0: <laughs> I'm well aware. <laughs> That's You know, actually going back for a heartbeat, because I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up. It's interesting, you know, you were talking about the uh, the interview process. Right. And and for me as a budding therapist, um, it's interesting. You know, the setting really kind of does dictate that that power almost to a certain degree. Right. Because they're coming to me for whatever. And so I inherently Mm -hmm. sort of have that power. So I can ask those questions like you're talking about. Um, I also find it really fascinating. You know, I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to this interview shit. <laughs> I really don't <laughs> quite honestly, I only been doing it for like eight months and I'm kind of like figuring it out, but I will say it's, it's taught me how to think ahead. It's taught me how to um, become uh you know, use Socratic questioning, like open-ended questions. Tell me more about that,
1: which mm-hmm. is a lot of the interview mm-hmm. styles that
0: I know that sometimes people have. But the the most, the funniest thing to me is that, this whole process of doing therapy and, and interviewing and not that they're the same thing clearly, but there's that element of uh, curiosity. That's, I think the real key, you know what I mean?
1: Oh, I, I completely agree with you. And I think that a good interviewer is someone who has done, you know, some research and some homework and Mm -hmm. knows about the person that, or the, the topic or whatever it is that they're going to be, asking questions about at the same time, there's something to be said about being present and really listening to what it is that your subject is saying, rather than skipping ahead in your mind about what your next question is going to be right. uh, because it can really surprise you what that person is saying and can maybe take the interview into a place that you hadn't expected it to, but that may give you more information than you had planned, you know, does that make sense? A,
0: a, a thousand percent. In fact, my next question to you kind of basing off what you just said was, um, because you're right, it does take a lot of presence because you have to kind of like it's active listening, right? That's literally what it is. Mm-hmm. So when you're in that mode of active listening, um, you know, cause otherwise you stumble. I did this, honestly, the first couple of,
1: uh,
0: dog, I'm so
1: sorry. It's okay. <laughs> So that's Gus, and he's he's decided that there's something about journalism we're saying that he disagrees with. I guess I'm sorry about that.
0: That's okay. Um, I'll interview a dog. I'm not good. I'm that good. I'll interview a dog.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, he'll be available.
0: I can't do anyway. this perspective. So, but, um, <laughs> you know, it, so again, it is kind of that follow up question. It is that kind of sense of curiosity that makes for a really great interview. But what I was going to ask is so how do you deal with silence? Because I've actually tried to use silence now a little bit because there is that natural inclination for people to fill in the space. Mm -hmm. When you do that, you kind of rob the client or whomever you're interviewing with the opportunity to say something else that you didn't know they were going to say.
1: It's really true. It's, it's such an interesting point because um, I had read this about, Joan Didion, who Mm. was obvious, was one of my uh, heroes. I just loved, you know, her writing. And I read something that somebody would, I think it was a photographer who was with her um, when she was doing some interviews and she was shy and there was a lot of empty, quiet space and silence. And this person who was with her was saying that it was astounding what people would say to her to fill up that silence because they couldn't take it. And so she was getting incredible stuff that nobody else was because she was being quiet.
0: Interesting. That's exactly it.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, I love mm-hmm. I'm actually trying to find a uh, quote of hers that I think I may have here. Hang on a sec. I love her so much. She's the best. Oh, here we go. As it happens, I am still committed to the idea that the ability to think for oneself depends upon the the mastery of the language.
1: Oh, that's good.
0: Yeah, as Joan,
1: I could do. That's really good. Yeah, her slouching towards Bethlehem was just, you know, so amazing to me. I had gotten this book, I think it was in my late teens called the new journalism and it had little essays in it from all of these <clears throat> incredible writers. She was one and, 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 Tom Wolf and Hunter S Thompson and all these people that were trying to do almost a prose version of journalism in a way to make you feel that you were there and not just the standard associated press, you know, um, format of writing. And, um, it, it was just so exciting to me. I just, would read it over and
0: over and over again. <laughs> okay, I have to. I'm going to start. I'm gonna, I, This is the. By the way, my segues suck. So if you can help me with my segues at some point, <laughs> that'd be amazing. Okay. Like, because some, sometimes I'll do this. And be like, okay. It. Question number two. Like they're terrible. But um, actually, this is kind of relevant. Just tell me what I, I'm thinking. That, I'm thinking about this out loud. Tell me what makes a good interview for you. I'm curious.
1: Oh. You know, I I like it when I feel like I'm getting the real version of the person. Um I like I like interviews that are set up in such a way that I can feel like there's not a publicist at the door about to break in, but I'm really having a conversation <laughs> with the individual that I'm interviewing. I So I guess w- what makes a good interview is is a setting that feels conducive to getting to the truth of this person or this situation or whatever the story is about and having the time to get what it is that I need to get. I mean, I think that what's important is when we're trying to tell stories that we are sharing the story from the view of that person that you're doing the interview with. And, and the only way to really get that is to make sure that they trust you enough to tell you. (laughs) Yeah. The truth. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing because we all have the masks that we put on. We all have the version of ourselves that we're presenting. And, and one of the jobs that you have as an interviewer is to get past that. To who this person really is or, or this particular situation.
0: Totally right. And I will just say this kind of lastly, maybe on this topic that the, I, when I, when I found this out, it just made so much sense. Uh, the therapeutic alliance, which is that relationship you have with your therapist, which is, <coughs> excuse me, as you said, do you like your therapist enough to tell him your darkest secrets? That alliance is seven times more powerful than any intervention or any modality that I can use on a client, Right.
1: Seven times. Well, yeah, for sure. And 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 I think that what happens, too, is you have to look at why a person is in therapy. If the person has been forced to go to therapy uh, by someone else yeah. and they're there to check off a box, then you're probably not going to get any place. Nope. But if the person has walked into therapy for a reason and there's something that they're needing, then then you are probably going to be in a place where you do get the truth. <laughs> I'm so
0: sorry. Greed.
1: I just, I don't even know what's happening here with my dog. I apologize. Your dog is turning
0: into like flavor flay, like a hype man. Like, yeah.
1: Yeah, he absolutely is. <laughs> absolutely is.
0: So tell me a little bit about true crime. Now I'm a true crime nerd. Um, I'm fascinated. Are I'm, you? I'm a nerd in general. I know a lot of shit.
1: Well, let me just, I'm going to switch rooms by the way. Um, I, I am interested as to why this true crime genre has become as, is popular the right word as yeah. popular as it is. And and I've had conversations with people about this wondering, is it because we're all armchair detectives and we want to figure these things out and see if we can figure them out before the detective on the show does, or is it that idea that we're kind of glad that our family is not in the show and that they we're watching somebody else's, yeah. you know, <clears throat> situation or is it that idea that you never know who your neighbors are or you never sure. truly know, you know, the person, people that you think you're the closest to. I don't, I don't really know if it's maybe any of those things or combination of those things. But for me, what's interesting about, about it is the real human stories at the core of these cases and how important it is to tell them how important it is that, you know, when the police leave and the crime tape is gone that there are real victims and real families there Uh who everybody else's life goes on and the world keeps turning. But for these people, nothing is ever the same again. And what we find, you know, at people magazine, when we tell these stories and we also have a show called people magazine investigates, it's on investigation discovery and we just finished our sixth season. It's also streaming on Discovery Plus. And when we tell these stories in in all the formats, whether it's in print or whether it's online, um, whether it's in the TV show, we often, you know, hear from these families because they participate in these stories about how um, how much they need to talk about the people that they lost, how much they need to share these experiences. And, you know, everybody grieves differently. Everybody goes through these things differently, but we find that for them it's, it's in a way, a part of the healing process and, and remembering the people that they lost.
0: Yes. And you have just hit upon a really key point. God, you're smart. You you have have really uh, hit upon a really key point for me personally, which is storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. I love, the pa- mm-hmm. I love the concept of that everybody has a story to tell. Um, I, mm-hmm. I often tell my clients, I say, there's stories flying around you all day like butterflies. And mm-hmm. you just have to catch them, right? You need to be in tune. Mm-hmm. There's a great line I loved from uh, um, Keith Richards, who someone asked him the traditional question of like, how do you write your songs? And he says, you just got to be a lightning rod, man. And I thought, <laughs> how perfect, you know? Mm -hmm. And in in my metaphor, it's not necessarily a lightning rod. It's more of a tuning fork because you had to be in tune to catch the songs that are floating out there or the ideas of the stories that are floating out there or whatever that may look like. And if you can get a like a beginning, a middle and an end out of whatever story that was, then you can extract Mm -hmm. a meaning from that story. Right. Like, yeah, that's true. I hear abandonment. I hear this. That's important.
1: That's it yeah, that's that's true, and I think another thing that's interesting is that the meaning of that story can change for you uh-huh. depending on what's happening in your life or or what's going on. I mean, the same story can mean all these different things, mm-hmm. not only to all these different people but also to you,
0: correct, so that begs yeah. the next question is do you find the story or does the story find you?
1: <laughs> There's a little bit of both of that going on. Um being, I think you had mentioned this previously, you know, just being present and being aware mm-hmm. is a huge um benefit, well for all of us, but but definitely for journalists. Yeah. Um <laughs> so that you you know what what's going on um and, and what could be a story. I I remember I had been talking to a rep rep at a hospital about some of the different technologies that they were really proud of. And, you know, we were going through all the different things that they were testing and all of this. And one of them said, in in this particular wonderful um, new process that we've come up with in surgery, it does this, this, and this. And we used it just recently. And then they were moving on to the next thing. And, I, and so I so think I asked the question, who did you use it on? And, and tell me more about that. And to make an incredibly long story short, they had used this particular new surgery on a little girl who had gotten a heart transplant. And she'd gotten the heart of a little boy, a nine-year-old boy who had been uh, hit by a truck um, while he was riding his bike the families had kind of defied all experts advice and decided to meet one another and to become friends. Huh. So this little girl who had the heart of this little boy, um, started, uh, spending a bunch of time with the little boy's brothers. The brothers would put their head on her chest so they could hear their brother's oh, heart. Wow. Um, they all she would say things profoundly like i i feel dalton's heart beating inside of me i'm so lucky that he gave me life um i spent time with these families and you know the father who had lost his son was a surgeon himself and just being around this little girl who's who had his his son's heart was something that brought him comfort I never would have known about that story and I never would have met those remarkable people and experienced that and then wrote a story about it and shared that with the world through people magazine. Had I not been really listening to that rep who at the moment thought the story was the surgery technique.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. That's exactly, you're right. I I totally see what you're saying that, you are, cause I've often wondered if people like you and, and quite frankly me, cause I'm a storyteller of some sorts that it's almost like being a water witch. Right. To
1: mm-hmm. find a story.
0: At least that, that's how it is for me. You know, like again, my whole mm-hmm. theory is that the stories are floating around there anyway. And all I just got to do is the thing about that tuning fork metaphor. I love so much is that it means you got to be present. Right. Cause you mm-hmm. can't think of the past. Can't think of the future. Um, which leads me, okay, my segues are getting fucking good now. Here we go. You ready for this one?
1: <laughs> You're on fire. I'm back. yes, I'm ready. I'm back. We're Twenty
0: minutes into this, and I'm already finally. I'm game on. Um, we were talking earlier about the binding agent. I'm, you know, about music. Okay, and mm-hmm. how that can be such a unifying theme for so many people. And what I have found, and perhaps you can elucidate. God, it's like a jackass already yet. elucidate. Who says that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> see, this is what the Johnny You
1: just play. did, and, and you used it correctly. And it's, I, I mean, I think you should just go with it. Hey, Keep must, going, go.
0: I almost used Schadenfreude about like a, an hour or 10, or 10 minutes ago, and I didn't. So <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, but no, you know, it's an idea of having the binding agent of music. And I will just, just real simply say this and see what you, uh, see what you think. You know, look, our country is clearly in a pandemic of disconnection. I say this all the time now. And it's been going on for a long goddamn time, even before the pandemic. And the one one way I've noticed that people can get together is through music. Maybe not even film so much, because everybody's got their favorite song, right? And I am a music, I'm such a music dork that I was on a show called VH1's Rock and Roll Jeopardy with Jeff Probst hosting pre-Survivor, and I lost, but I was on. So I know my world. What do you think about all that stuff, about the binding agent idea?
1: I I think that's I think that I think that it's true and I think that there's something about music that can change people's the way they feel, can change um the way they feel about each other sometimes. Yeah. Um it, you know, and it's it's interesting too because I think for me uh, there was this <clears throat> interview question that somebody was asking years ago um what is your theme song? Like, what is the song that would play when you walked on stage or what's the song Mm -hmm. that would play if you were a pitcher and you're heading to the mound. Right. And I, that changes for me every day. (laughs) Right. I I don't have one, you know, every once in a while, I would think it was spoons underdog because I just love that song. And it's just so great. Right. Hold
0: on a second. I know this is not about that, but can I just give a moment of, of recognition on how fantastic that band is, and that song is.
1: Oh, so great. And, you know, I spent a lot of time in Austin, Texas, uh, so I got to, you know, be around yeah. them and, um, and, and yeah, there's just they're such a great song, such a great band. And then sometimes, you know, it would be maybe Fresh Feeling, the Eels or the Eels have some other songs that are terrific. Yeah. Um, and then there's the Bleachers has, has a song called Roller Coaster and it's got that sick kind of it starts soft and then it gets really big yeah. and then it gets soft again. It's like I'm a sucker for that. I can't even, you know, it's just I'm way in. So I just think that and I find this for me too. There's certain music that I listen to when I'm writing that's you know, maybe classical and, and background, or that I I I listen to when I'm editing. Um there's certain Things that I listen to on the train. Uh, I commute into New York City, and and I need to block out some sound sometimes. So I, I just think that there's all these ways that different types of music um, can affect us individually, as well as as bind us together um, because of the way that it it changes the way we feel
0: and it changes our brains, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a big neuroplasticity nerd these days, and obviously that kind of—I mean, just, just just to rewire yourself for some kind of passion. Maybe this is a maybe that's mm-hmm. a too big of a phrase. Um, I got to go back for just one second and just hear me out. The next time you listen to that "Underdog" song, it's Billy Joel. Just going to say it.
1: Wait, wait, wait! Give me a second. Let me think about that. Da-da-da. You got
0: it. It's—I swear to God. Yeah. It, it went, yeah. Hand claps. Bom,
1: bom, bom. Oh man, hand claps. I can't even with the hand claps. Yes. So, I'm so in. Are you a hand clapper? Yeah, hand I can you? see that. Totally. Well, I'm not necessarily one myself, but when somebody puts one in a song. Yeah, I'm the same way. Just,
0: yeah. I heard, a, I heard a Red Cross, this is apropos of nothing, but I heard a Red Cross song, if you remember them, a new one that has hand claps, and I was like,
1: <gasps> yes. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Thank you. <laughs> but you're right. I love that idea of also having different soundtracks for different things because you're right. Music has such a um, it has such a, tr- a transcendent quality to it, I think, especially for certain people who have been blessed with that ladder to God that I mentioned before we started talking, uh, recording. Um, mm-hmm. like, I know for me personally, if I listen to, like, I've been through a lot of shit. And, uh, matter of fact, the eels, it's a motherfucker, really got to me because, uh, my wife actually died about eight years ago and I was part of the whole thing. And,
1: oh, I'm so sorry. Thanks.
0: Um, and you know, going through that, it was a very sudden death and very violent and very horrible. Um, oh, but, no. you know, it, you know, E got me through with the eels and all that. And I mean, I have this whole soundtrack of, of songs that have got me through classical music. You know, I mean, it's been eight years and every single day I think about her and I still like listen to songs, but songs mm-hmm. of strength and songs of memory, but I don't mm-hmm. think it's about me.
1: And isn't it interesting too, Jeff, when a particular song can transport you yes. like a time machine back into a moment where you can feel exactly what you were feeling when that song was important to you? Uh-huh.
0: There is a beautiful difference between event memory and sense memory, right? Because mm-hmm. event memory, you forget. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm picking up a cup right now, and I'm gonna forget that in about ten seconds, right? And I don't give a shit about the cup. However, it's funny you talk. We're funny. We're talking about sense memory because the second you said Nancy Drew, I went, "Oh right, Hardy Boys." Oh right, the show with John Cassidy and the other dude. Right. <laughs> I that yeah. popped out of nowhere, but because it's a sense Parker record. Stevenson.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like you can picture them. That's right. hmm
0: I mean, I, I had the I had the Sean Cassidy record because I was that guy, right?
1: Well, to do run run, his version was just I'm sorry. You- and it was terrific. You're a bubblegum pop. You know, fan. I met her on a Monday, my heart stood still. You're you're a bubblegum <laughs> pop fan, aren't you? Yeah, I can't yes. And, yes, I really am. I can, and oh I, 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 <laughs> Have you heard the Mayflies? Have you ever have you ever listened to the Mayflies? I,
0: you know, I haven't actually. I know the name.
1: Okay, I need you to go listen to them after we talk.
0: <clears throat> are you going to go now?
1: Yeah, I'll see you later. I'm just going to go pick them up. No, I'm just saying. I, <laughs> Got it. Yeah, I am, and and I think that th- there were a whole, and you know, now that there is a Spotify, which I'm sure we could go down a whole long path of talking about whether that's wonderful or, or not. Well, I, yeah. But the fact that you can listen to one song and then all of a sudden find five or six other songs in that same genre, you know, uh, is you can just get lost for hours and hours and hours. But
0: there, anyway. I I could do, honestly, I could probably do at least nine shows with you. Uh, I can already tell. <laughs> And by the way,
1: I don't know if anybody would listen to us, yeah. but we could certainly have fun together talking about all these things.
0: People have already tuned in anyway, but I want to do... <laughs> i say this. Let's say this. I want to do nine and then one with your dog. Total of ten. Deal?
1: Yes. And that'll be the one that That's really it. takes off. That's the one.
0: That one's the Emmy version of a podcast, that'll whatever that is. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, this this is
1: award-winning is. moment. <laughs> exactly.
0: Award-winning journalism, hard-hitting interviews of Jeff Watson. Um... <laughs> so here's what I really want to focus on, and honestly, I could do an entire episode on this, and I'm sure you could as well. A first grader at age 70, and the greatest thing about this for me so far, out of the gate, is that indeed it's being used in like educational purposes, right? Like an Alfred Williams Literacy Award. Oh, so let me just I can't say this first of all. Well.
1: Know about this story? Hooray for you! No, hooray for uh, <laughs> hooray for Alfred, and hooray for his teacher. Yeah. You know, I I know our listeners uh I don't know what we're talking about right now with this remarkable story that I was just lucky enough to get to tell. Was about this 70-year-old man who had never learned how to read, the child of of sharecroppers. He um his mom used to she used to take old catalogs and put um, paste on them or flour and water and use them to try to plug the holes of the walls of their house so that they wouldn't be cold in the winter. And his father didn't know how to read. His father was always embarrassed about that. But Alfred had to be taken out of school to help. Um, To help his family, you know, survive, to to earn money and help him survive. But anyway, he was taking, um, I think it was a friend's kid to school and dropping this kid off at first grade. And every time he'd walk down the hallway, he'd hear the teacher say, good morning, friends, or hello, friends. Uh And he thought, that's someone kind enough to teach me how to read because he'd gone to other classes and people had been what he thought, you know, were were kind of looking down on him and not helping him. And she welcomed him into that classroom. She taught him alongside her first graders. And what they discovered was as much as he was being helped by learning how to read, he was helping these kids, some of whom had come from very difficult Um homes and some of whom were struggling themselves and when they were able to see his willingness to learn something new a first grader at age 70 yeah they helped each other it was really really beautiful
0: that's lovely uh, it just you know that that whole story i mean clearly has heart obviously but i really do love the idea though that he helped them right because mm-hmm. they were both being transparent when you think about it The kids needed to learn. Mm -hmm. He needed to learn. He had the humility Mm -hmm. to be able to ask for help, to ask ask how to read, and then became a nice little kind of almost an environment for all the kids together as well. Beautiful.
1: Mm -hmm. It was really, really, really lovely. And I think that it goes to show the power of vulnerable. Oh, look, I'm not going to be able to say vulnerability, I just stumbled over vulnerability. I'm going to say it a whole bunch more times, but, um, (laughs) the power of that, when, when people are willing to be vulnerable, what, what can happen and, and how many lives can be changed by that?
0: Yeah. Also, there's something else too, that I love about this, this story that really rings true for me. Um, you know, as I mentioned, my, my wife passed a while ago, and when I was sitting down with a friend of mine, I was sobbing uncontrollably. I mean, it was bad. And I was with a friend of mine one time, and uh, it was early on. Actually, my AA sponsor, like somehow stayed sponsored, uh, sober with this old nonsense, which is amazing. But um, he, I was in his arms sobbing uncontrollably, and I said, the love of my life is dead, Christian. The love of my life is dead. And he goes, the love of a life is dead, Jeff right? And it just hit me like a ton of bricks and said, oh my God, you're right. We have many lives in our lifetime, don't we? And that is a perfect example of that, right? That he had a completely different life when you want to think of it that way, and to some degree, when he learned how to read. And it was this new narrative that he created, and kind of spat out. I think it's amazing.
1: And what What a gift that you were able to hear that in that moment because um, we we all do have many many different experiences and, and many different paths that we take. That doesn't negate, you know, the pain and and the overwhelming, you know, love that that you share. Mm-hmm. But it, there's a little bit of hope in the idea that that there is there is healing and there are other stories for you to discover for yourself exactly
0: and you know not to get too heavy on this thing by the way we are going to wrap this up with some fun stuff so we're going to get out of this little morass of like sorrow in a second
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well no here's the deal we're we're like a roller coaster we're going to take you up we're going to take you down you know it's 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 going to be happy sad exciting (laughs) all the things
0: exactly all the emotions in a 43 minute interview ladies and gentlemen
1: there you go. Um, no, you know. You're
0: welcome. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, ultimately, I will I will simply say this, that I, there's a line that I love so much, and this is really what's kind of got me out of an incredible amount of bullshit. It's just, Actually, there's two. One is this concept of, um, it's called radical amazement. It's like, it's everything, actually. It's this rabbi that I read a little while ago, and he had this line, It's you're going to love this. In fact, you're going to just take this for the rest of your day, at least. He said, okay. we should live our lives in radical amazement to get up in the morning and see the sun and say, good morning, sun, and to look at the clouds and be mm-hmm. amazed by them. It was a little more a little better than what I phrased it. But the kicker is, I love this so much, it says, to be spiritual is to be amazed. Right? Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. that wonder, that joy of what's in front of you. And the other line that I like with the existentialist used to say is that it's kind of the idea is to laugh at the absurdity of the universe, right? To Mm -hmm. understand how chaotic, beautifully chaotic this world is. It's absurd. But if you can kind of find the cosmic joke that underpins all of that, then you got something. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Thoughts, comments, complaints, concerns?
1: (laughs) I think, I think that radical amazement, that's the term, right? Correct. Takes bravery as well, because, you know, as soon as, what is it, by the time you're a teenager, like, oh, that's just totally not cool to be radically amazed about anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and it's like cooler to be, Oh, whatever. It's all, I'm not excited about anything. (laughs) And I I think that, you know, in the different work that I've, I've done in therapy and that whenever I've been low or been dark or, or depressed, the thought that being aware of, the air on your skin being aware Mm. of the way the sky looks being aware of the clouds just really focusing on those things and realizing how much of a miracle they all are is a way for you to try to dig out of the darkness and i think that that concept of radical amazement is completely true if you do wake up amazed that almost always leads to a level of gratitude, yeah. you know, and I think that um, that that's definitely going to be able to steer your day.
0: Hooray and- for gratitude, ladies and gentlemen! <laughs> hey.
1: Hooray! Yeah.
0: And speaking of gratitude, I am incredibly grateful for you to be doing this interview. Unfortunately, there was a lot of topics that I didn't cover because I do a lot of research and then never get to it. So I'm gonna rattle. I'm just gonna rattle them off. Boom, boom, boom. You never know say anything. Okay. All right. Boom. People Magazine, the director. Didn't ask about that. Didn't even ask about People Magazine, because I'm that guy. Um, I fucked up. (laughs) Uh, The Life and Death of a Comic Genius. Boy, did I want to get into that Robin Williams thing. Didn't. The Malaysia Air Mystery, I really wanted to talk about that. Didn't. The Little Couple, fantastic. The B.I.G. Murders, Tupac. I was at both places where they were shot, not when they were shot. Totally amazing. I fucked up. How about that?
1: You know what? I I just think that, that we need to... We need to frame this differently. And the perspective is that we had an incredibly interesting conversation and showed an example of how surprising and different a path in an interview can take when you're present. We just showed, you know, that's what we did.
0: Well done. We did. Well done. And before I ask my final question, I have to say this as well. uh, And I will mention People Magazine here for a second. Solely because the only thing that's been going through my mind since I started doing my research on you was the, it was an ad, I guess maybe it was in the 80s or something, and the music was, people, educating, 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 people, no? <laughs> I don't, I'll find I a, don't
1: remember that. It's on
0: YouTube, I'll find it for you. I- I
1: have no idea why. I totally want to hear it. It's so funny the different advertising jingles. We could do a whole show about advertising jingles. Oh, I could do. The ones that stick in your mind, you know. Um I was I was having this moment where I was trying to remember about the McDLT. Do you remember the McDLT? <laughs> Keep it hot. And they had like it's a cool. whole song yeah. that Jason Alexander yes. was in the commercial and he danced and sang about the McDLT. Um Anyway, how did I just the take Mac us DL, off topic? Right? You were trying to wrap this up in this way, and now I've – I can't. That- I'm on a whole other rail.
0: My favorite thing about the McDLT, by the way, is the, the whole thing is basically just we have new packaging. That was it. Yes. We're going to keep the hot side hot. It was just it's like, side like cool.
1: hot side hot and the cold side cold. You know what I didn't like about it what was, that? was that the cheese was on the cold side. Uh-huh. And so it wouldn't melt. Oh. You needed the cheese on the hot side. The cheese was over there with the tomatoes and the lettuce. What? And it it was. And it was it was cold. Well,
0: that's a major oversight, wouldn't you think?
1: I'm just saying.
0: I, I'm surprised okay. by me. Believe me. <laughs> uh, well, look. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna uh, wrap this up a little bit here. I'm gonna do uh, two things. Number one is I'm gonna ask you the same question that I ask every single other person as well. It is a philosophical question, so get your philosophical little hat on. And the question is, when you're writing, let's say, a true crime story, when do you know you're done? When is the time to hit send?
1: Well, I guess when you've come to the end of your word count. No, I I think that it's, it's important to know that you have told the story in such a way that People are going to connect to it. They're going to know what happened, when it happened, maybe the why, maybe not, but that there's going to be the real, I think we were talking so much about stories. There's going to be the storytelling and the real human emotion within it. And once, sometimes I'll put it away and then read the story again. And if it makes me feel, then I'll know that I'm done. I need people to feel these things. I want them to feel that they're in the center of these stories because I think that's really when we understand. And so um, I think I think if you can feel it, then you know you're done.
0: What a lovely answer. I, I asked this question to everybody I know who's an artist. You clearly are, and because that ultimately the question is about release. Right, like it's uh-huh. about having no more attachments to the outcome because you're putting it out there. <laughs> We're going to see what happens. Right. Right. Um, right. At any rate, uh, so here's how I do this. Actually, at the end here, uh, I do a little fake, fake. Good- I'm going to fake say goodbye. You're going to fake say goodbye. Okay. I'm going to fake hang up. Okay. And then we'll do a quick post chat. Deal. Sounds perfect. It, it, it involves a little acting, a little bit of acting involved.
1: I, I'm I'm up for it.
0: Okay, get get method
1: okay <laughs> give me a second okay here we go and um,
0: scene thank you so much Alicia. <laughs> god what a wonderful <laughs> human being you are you know it's like i always say you know nice knows nice right like we're in the nice club so welcome aboard um well
1: thank you for inviting me to the nice club there's some days that i wouldn't be let in so i'm glad that i was let in today jeff
0: i let people in pretty easily <laughs> i'm a low bar i'm a low bar <laughs> but really, what a great time! And then, okay, now it's your turn to say something good about me, of course, and also. Uh, well, you know. <laughs> go
1: ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, if, if nice knows nice, and so it is. what it's great to be have a conversation with someone as nice as you, and to be able to go all the places that we were able to go um, and have fun, and you know, it was. It's just lovely Aww. to get to have this chance to talk to you and i think that we need to maybe do this more this may just become the kind of jeff do. and alicia show I, mean, I could do
0: i could do yeah. the whole thing on spoon being you know billy Joel reincarnated
1: oh don't even <laughs> i think i think there's many many layers to peel in that particular arena if
0: you talk to you uh if you talk to jeremy at you all know, tell him i said hello he had a great talk to he was good
1: i definitely will
0: um well, okay. Really quick, one last thing uh, for a fake hang up. A scale of one to ten. Give, how am I as an interviewer? Because this is coming from you. You're the editorial director. Of people. It's a big deal.
1: I think, uh, yeah. Well, this is like uh, what what uh, Spinal Tap. This is eleven. Eleven. We can go as far you as eleven. 11. Huh? Okay. Right. <laughs> we have an eleven. We have an
0: eleven. Well, let's to know. I'm going to fake hang up, and then we're going to do a quick post chat deal. Great. Okay, hang on. Uh, three, two, one. Click.